Hey guys, Roger Rickard here with another special edition of the Voices in Advocacy podcast, where we look back on our favorite conversations of 2021. I enjoyed talking with the always energetic Mary Kate Cunningham of the American Society of Association Executives. Mary Kate and I got together back in May and among the many things we discussed was how associations make America stronger. Sit back and enjoy my fascinating conversation with Mary Kate Cunningham. Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, and engage and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build grassroots advocacy and grow your community of advocates, then you are in the right place. Now, let's get started. In today's episode, we speak with Mary Kate Cunningham, CAE. She is the Senior Vice President of Public Policy at ASAE, the Center for Association Leadership. Now, since taking the reins of ASA's Public Policy Department in 2018, Mary Kate has grown an effective, results-oriented advocacy team, garnered bipartisan support for association issues on the Hill, and expanded ASAE's grassroots network. Mary Kate previously worked for the House Armed Services Committee in the Communications Office, as well as other places. In 2019, she was named a leading association lobbyist by Association Friends. Mary Kate, thank you and welcome to today's show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's it's a great pleasure. And a fellow Arizona. Exactly. So, so proud to be from Arizona. I'm from Scottsdale. My dad's from Kingman, the big town of Kingman. Absolutely. Up in the upper Northwest uh, of our beautiful state. So let's dive right in here now. We know that associations make America stronger. Can you explain for the audience how? Certainly. So this is a big part of our work over the last year to really make sure Congress understands and views the association community as a whole, not just the a couple of the associations they work on on certain issues. In every trade and profession, there's an association that makes the industry better, provides best practices, trains the workforce, um, and really moves forward that profession and industry. So that's part of our message, and it's been a lot of our focus recently. Well, and I was looking at some of the numbers that are just, if, if people are not familiar with it, there are what, 60,000 plus associations in the United States? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and getting to the numbers has been a, a part of our work too, is how can you quantify it for Hill staff who might, I mean, might not understand associations. So we also talk about there's 200 K plus American workers and more than 18 billion in payroll. Wow. And then I guess the total spend is like over what 53 billion. Is that correct? In, in revenue? Yeah, and a lot of that is, well, before COVID was the, the focus on association conferences where we really bring people together, provide training. Now, a lot of that is obviously virtual, but the economic impact that had on cities um, and localities was huge. So we really hope to go back to that soon. But, you know, that, that's something that people on the Hill and, and mayors certainly understand as well. Well, without, without question, all the destinations out there and the impact of uh, the dollars spent, the new money that comes into our community based on the fact that those meetings are taking place. And I'm, I, I gotta tell you, I'm proud to report that I get back on the road next week. I go to my first association meeting. I've got a keynote next Wednesday and I've got a couple more coming up in May. So it's starting to roll, we're getting back to it. Glad to hear it. I just got my second shot. I'll be right behind you. Yep. Fully vaccinated here, and we encourage everybody to go out and get that vaccine so that we can all get back on the road again. Absolutely. Now, throughout last year, in the deepest throes of this pandemic, ASE's policy team successfully advocated for federal relief for the 501c6 organizations. Now, how did your advocacy efforts engage support from your membership? A lot of what we did was kind of the old fashioned advocacy tactics of, we did a ton of sign on letters. We totaling, I think over 7,000 organizations signed on throughout the months, really starting in the spring um, and then pushing through when that final bill was passed in December. But a lot of this was education. I think in the very beginning, there was an idea from some in Congress that Associations have a lot of money, they can weather the storm, and, and we know that was not true, and they didn't have an understanding of the breadth and depth of the community, how many small associations are out there that really relied on that face-to-face -face meeting revenue. So it was the way we engage our advocates were bringing them to the Hill virtually, which while we all miss being in Congress, there are a ton of positives of virtual advocacy. We were able to really quickly zoom in our constituents in a certain state with, um, with their elected officials. And so that was really helpful. And then just keeping, uh, keeping the momentum up too. I mean, advocates can get a little tired when it feels like the, um, the goal is really, uh, it keeps going further down the line. So um, keeping people engaged, having virtual events. And um, I think those were our best strategies. And then just working with our research department to, to really help quantify the, the real economic strain associations were under, how many were furloughing, laying off staff and were um, at risk of using all their reserves and really closing their doors. Well, yeah, and, and we know that a lot of associations, part of the revenue stream does come from those face-to-face -face, uh, events and meetings that they hold and, uh, and expos and, and, and the like. And because of that, when that money dried up uh, due, due to not having those events, that's where they uh, had some financial risk, as well as 
their members having financial risk in what they do? And would they renew their memberships? And would they stay to be involved in, in associations? Absolutely. So, so you said a couple of things in, the, in that last statement that, that really stood out to me. One was old fashioned advocacy, which uh, a lot of people love to talk about the new bells and whistles that are out there. And quite frankly, it's still kind of the shoe leather express. It's getting on the phone, it's writing the letters, it's talking to people. And you recently held your American Associations Day, which is an education and advocacy event to urge Congress to support your community, the, uh, the association community. Uh, as you indicate, uh, you've been doing things virtually, you held that virtually. So I'd love to know from your perspective, what were the pros of having a virtual Hill Day? Certainly, we had um, more, uh, more than double the attendees that we were able to have in person. So that was great. I think when we're so used to talking to members of Congress and elected officials and their staff, we forget that it is it can be intimidating if you're not used to it. And um, so this kind of virtual advocacy, you can be on your couch at home and it lowers the barrier to entry. So we saw a lot of newer folks um, who I think were a little less intimidated this time to join. And really when we talk about what's effective on the Hill, it's those personal relationships that we're building and maintaining. I, um, when you just talk about technology, I, that can, uh, technology is great, but the more, um, the, the easier it gets to flood the hill with electronic messages. And I just think the value decreases and it really is, it, can you have a conversation? Can you call up someone who will accept your phone call? That's right. how you move the ball. Yeah, and, and the noise seems to get ratcheted up uh, in, in something like that. Uh, I have seen in uh, my conversations with a lot of other associations and people that have, uh, have held, held virtual Hill Days that the attendance has gone up because the entry to do it is much easier. They don't have to get on a plane. They don't have to go to a hotel for a couple of days um, and, it, and it becomes much easier. So that is, that is one of the, the real pros of being able to have the, the virtual day. It starts to get, allows people to dip their toe in the water of, of what this process is. And I think once people do that, then it, uh, they become more engaged down the road. So what are, what are some of the cons though of, of holding the virtual day? And we all love to be at the Hyatt on the Hill and having a, a cocktail and actually having bringing in our elected officials who are receiving awards. And um, the networking portion, I think, is absolutely why people come to the fly-in. They love coming to D.C., um, seeing their members of Congress. And, and that is something we certainly can't wait to go back to. Um, and I think that's um, priceless I and you can't replace it. Well, uh, no question about it. I always love when I'm there with new advocates that have come to the Hill for the first time and are walking the halls of the House buildings or the Senate buildings and the awe that they have. And the fact that when they get into those offices, that staff listen to them and that members of Congress listen to what their story is and how they're telling it. And they come out of there going, I'm absolutely amazed, one, at the knowledge uh, that a, a lot of the offices have and the staff have, 
and, and how they absorb everything that is coming at them about every 15 minutes uh, during those meetings, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, staff are, um, they can't be an expert in everything. They really rely on citizens, constituents, and advocacy professionals to help educate them to be the trusted voice and um, to even go back and get more information for them. So that's something um, that certainly we, we, we miss. It's just the, it, I, it seems like the meetings are just shorter when they're on Zoom and Hill staff are really spread um, thin more than ever. They just have back-to-back -back meetings. So you don't right. get the same kind of conversations in the hallway you would. That's right. And you don't get that sense of, of, of starting to understand someone a little bit better yeah. uh, in that face-to-face. In, in -face. I have uh, seven actions of highly effective advocates, and one of them is to be a resource, and you, and you pointed that out. And one of the great things that citizens can do and constituents can do is help their office, their, their, their members of Congress, uh, by saying to them, yeah, I'll, I'll be a resource for you if you need answers to things. And then they come back to someone like you and your policy team and say, listen, they're asking about this and help get that guidance. Has that worked out well for you in the past? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. When you can when you admit when you don't know something and you go back and find the real information, then they they know that um, you're always kind of giving it to them straight. And that is very helpful. And especially with Hill staff turning over so quickly, it does really take um, consistent advocacy to get the job done. And a constant, yes. constant effort, uh, effort with that, no question about it. So a Hill Day is designed, it's really about member advocacy. Uh, yeah. Because you and your staff are up there an awful lot or talking to members of Congress and their staff. But a Hill Day is, a, is about the member. Uh, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you just think of advocacy? Well, I think about how it's not something that you can build on the spot when you need it for an association. You really have to develop that before, um, before the crisis happens. And we saw a lot of associations experience that over COVID that um, maybe had ramped down their advocacy and then really needed it. And it's, um, so I think that's an important part. You know, you need to be at the table so you're not on the menu. <laughs> that's something we really think about. Absolutely. I love, I, I always love using that, uh, that comment. People, uh, people begin to get that uh, when, when they hear that, that statement. Yeah. So you've grown since you've come on board, you've grown your advocates. So what are you doing to educate and engage and continue to grow more and more advocates? Well, now the great thing is that we have achieved Paycheck Protection Program access for associations, really um, a lifeline for many associations to keep the doors open in COVID. Now we're focused on really interesting workforce issues, uh, ways to expand access to association certification programs. And that, um, it's great. It's an offensive issue. It's something that helps uh, educate staff about what associations are and the education we provide. So that, um, that's a really actually fun part of it. We got a great response from our Hill meeting attendees this year because they felt like congressional staff were excited about the legislation that we're working on. 
Um, it's the Freedom to Invest in Tomorrow's Workforce Act, and it would expand 529 accounts to those um, looking to obtain and maintain certification. So um, I think that's, you know, it's bi bicameral, bi um, bipartisan, and it, that's a really fun thing to work on now for association professionals. Yeah, anything that becomes bipartisan um, is fun to work on. You have, uh, you have less heat uh, fired at you. So you listed that as one of your uh, priorities with the 117th Congress. Are, are there additional priorities that you're working on right now? I think we're always trying to think, is there an option for um, to help associations ensure against um, another in, another pandemic for association meetings? That I think is a little more difficult of an issue, frankly, um, to get people on the same page for. But that's something that we that we're certainly in conversations with as well. And then just the continual effort to educate Congress about what associations are, the, the benefit we provide to society and the economy, because we saw what happened when they didn't understand our community well enough. Well, yeah, and the work that you do then helps open the doors for every other association that is in there talking about, uh, you know, uh, the value of what their association does for, for their members and, and, and for society. I love the comment of the former CEO of ASAE that John Graham used to always say, when you've seen one association, you've seen one association. Uh, so the president you know, recently addressed the joint, joint session of Congress with a long, long list of legislative proposals. Have you had the time to figure out what the impact of those proposals may be on associations and their members? The thing we're always watching for is when there's expensive legislation, who's going to pay for it? And in, for those of us who lived through comprehensive tax reform and then the efforts that preceded it, um, I think there are always concerns about increasing the expansion of unrelated business income tax how associations really, we, we can't make money on membership alone anymore. The world has changed. And um, we saw in past legislation trying to tax associations more, um, kind of a, a Congress forgetting about the tax exempt mission of associations. So we're always on watch for that and, um, and really focused on um, if there, there's important legislation that Congress is considering uh, across the board, but we don't think associations should be the ones to pay for it. Right. And, that, and that's going to be an issue. Somewhere, somehow, somebody's going to have to pay for this stuff uh, that, that's out there and, and defending and protecting uh, other associations uh, is probably paramount to your success down the road. Absolutely. We, you know, just in um, about two years ago, um, were successful in repealing this 21% tax on employee transportation costs. Um, so that was, I think, a huge effort in, impacted across the board, charitable organizations and associations. So that took a lot of education as well. Um, but we're, we're always on watch for what could happen next. Yeah, uh, there's always something around it around the corner, uh, a wolf a wolf lurking in the halls, huh? Certainly, and when you think that it's gonna be a quiet year, you really have no idea, <laughs> so. Yeah, talk about things changing. They can change before the wind does. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so how can organizations and their advocates 
uh, move legislation forward, you know, in reality, we know that we're in a polarized, divided country and Congress. So in a, in, from a big macro level, Mary-Kate, how do you think we can move things forward? I think there are a lot of elected officials that want to get things done that came to Washington to um, pass legislation and make things better. And we're just trying to identify those members of Congress, support them, support, um, you know, we support the blue dogs and the problem solvers and the people that um, know how to compromise, frankly. And that's, um, you want people that are really here to legislate. And I think there are a lot of those on both sides of the aisle. So just um, being able to work with those offices to um, try to further your advocacy goals. Right. Uh, any final thoughts that you have, anything you'd like to add uh, about the power of A? I mean, for those who don't know, the power of A is pretty much your campaign of, of education, isn't it? To really educate people on advocacy, uh, <clears throat> on, on the value of associations. Definitely. I think you can follow us. Uh, we've got a new LinkedIn page, which is pretty interesting. We've got um, new videos and a lot of research. And I think for advocacy professionals, we know it's getting harder and harder to cut through the noise. And what we're focusing on is how to get the best research, because that's what really will help you with a Hill office that is so busy and overwhelmed. The, the hard data is really what will um, help find progress. And you know, for... Oh yeah, go for it. No, no I was just—I was just going to add. In, in, in a previous uh, show, we had uh, former Senator Mark Begich on, and he was talking about that tug and pull that goes on between what a member's ideology may be, what they ran on, what their their core beliefs are, and then the the tugging and pulling of of the different organizations coming in, and and in many cases being polar opposite of what somebody else walked in the door to talk about and, and the difficulty of that. Is there a way that you try to cut through that? I think that there, I think ASA is lucky in the issues that we work on. They're not the fringe on either side. So um, we are able to find more common ground and um, and I also think it goes back to associations being kind of institutions in society that are still trusted in a time of reduced trust across the board in institutions. Um, I think that's something that we still have going for us. The, um, the research and the, the voice associations have in their communities is still valued. But um, it's, a, it's increasingly a difficult time. And I think what we're really trying to do is find the members of Congress that are willing to get things done and try to support them. Trust. Trust is always the key. That when they can trust you, you can go, you can go a lot far, farther with that. Uh, you mentioned uh, LinkedIn pages. Now, is that the power of A? Is yeah, it's the, it's the power of associations. Um, so we spell it out there. But we've got a lot of great research. We have um, new state-specific data on associations, so one pagers for each state that are really great. Um, I think we're trying to tell the story, if because if Congress doesn't remember, then they can't stand up for us. That's what, that's right. 
So how can people reach ASAE for more information? We've talked about LinkedIn, but uh, where else can they go? Uh, the Power Bay is on Twitter as well. And we've got a weekly policy letter, uh, policy newsletter, and we're happy to add anyone to our grassroots updates. We're, um, we're trying to wave the flag for the entire association community. And, and they, I'm sure that they can go to uh, thepowerofa.org. Exactly. Well and, yes. and, and, and get some information. Mary Kate, I greatly appreciate your time. You are a very busy lady. Uh, doing uh, great work on behalf of many partners uh, through, throughout the country uh, on behalf of a lot of jobs, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations. So I, I thank you for your time today. Oh yeah, I think, I mean, I think I have the best job in Washington. I get to talk about associations and the incredible work that they're doing in every state and around the world. So um, it's really a pleasure. What a great way to put a button on it. Now that wraps up today's great conversation with Mary-Kate Cunningham, CAE, the Senior Vice President of Public Policy uh, at ASAE, the Center for Association Leadership. Thank you, Mary-Kate, for being on the show today. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices and Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices and Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.